0: There's a poignant quote by the famous Swiss American psychiatrist and author of On Death and Dying, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, that I truly think exemplifies our guest and her passionate work as director of Hamilton's Academy of Grief and Loss. Now it goes like this, the most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way Out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. That final part of the quote is what brings us to our conversation today and is really the the deeper meaning behind facing tomorrow. Beautiful people do not just happen. They are struck by some life event that places them in a position, albeit not a requested one, to take a leap of faith and live their passion, often in honor or direct result of that event. And often, it is in an event such as suffering or loss that you will have the opportunity to meet our guest. But what led her on the path to where she is today? Let's learn more together. So... Welcome to Facing Tomorrow, my beautiful friend and compassionate leader, Buffy Peters.
1: Yes, thank you for having me. You're quite That's welcome. That's beautiful. I love that.
0: <laughs> so Buffy, uh, tell us a little bit of the the time that stands out to you, the, the moment in time that is frozen forever for you.
1: For me, that definitely would be January 25th, 2004. Uh, that is the day that my best friend Sarah was murdered. I was a senior at Iowa State the first time that I went there. And she's actually the reason that I went to school at Iowa State. Um, My family, we didn't really go to college. You just kind of got a job and did what you had to do to, you know, survive. And she was my biggest cheerleader. From the minute I met her, she just always encouraged me and wanted me to come to Iowa State as her roommate. Um, I had then moved into an apartment, and she had just graduated a month before that. She was an overachiever, very, very smart. Um, And so she graduated in December, and on January 25th, she died. So it was very sudden, very traumatic. I saw her the day before she died, so it definitely is one of those that you can remember like everything that happened that day very crystal clear Mm.
0: and tell tell me a little bit about uh, before that what was your focus area prior to this event and and where was your life at that point
1: yeah so I was pretty lost as a teenager I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere Bit of a burden. um, Just didn't really know where I was going in my life. And Sarah and I met because we were dating best friend boys. Um, And we just hit it off like automatically. She was had her own struggles. And so it was so nice to know that I wasn't alone. And I feel very much like she was my soulmate, you know, the people that just get you from the get go. And you just you don't even have to say it. She could always give me the best advice. And I just remember as I was driving over here, Thinking about one day, very crystal clear when I was walking across the campus at Iowa State, feeling so much peace, so much contentment, pride in myself, like all of those things were very new to me, and it was because of her belief in me that I could then kind of believe in myself, and so I met her, like I said, in in ninth grade, and we just became really close friends, kind of from the get go. We were gonna go to you and I at first. I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. So I liked helping people. I loved creative writing. I didn't know what any of that meant though, and so I would maybe I was gonna be a teacher. Maybe I just who knows, right? When they're in high school, and so. I ended up going to community college in broadcast technology because my advisor there said, well, you like to write, and that's kind of like journalism, so why don't you try this out? And so I did. I didn't really care for it, but I did it. And so I was going to transfer to Iowa State kind of at her prompting, like, maybe think about going and getting your bachelor's. And so I went into that kind of in the mass communications, but again... That was not my passion. I really wanted to help people. I just didn't know what that meant, you know. And when she died, I definitely felt the lack of support. And that really kind of spearheaded me into wanting to be that support for other people. Uh, And again, I just didn't know how I could do that. So it took quite a few years to kind of come out of that initial fog of grief to be like, okay, start Googling grief counselor or grief, you know, support person. Like, what do you need to do that? And that's when I went back to Iowa State.
0: Yeah, and I want to touch base on that real quickly. So you you had shared uh, that, you know, you Googled how can I work with grieving people. Why did you feel that that was your best option at that time in, in your grief journey? And what did you find?
1: Yeah, so I... The death of Sarah was so devastating for me. And the fact that no one could support me in that, I didn't know what I needed. So Lord knows they didn't know what I needed, right? And I felt so alone. And when you're grieving, you already feel alone, right? And so I wanted to be that support for someone else because I I felt like there's got to be something, for people. And I had heard kind of along the way about Amanda the Panda. And for those listening local to Central Iowa probably know of that grief organization. And I thought, man, if they had that for best friends, because most of the time it's for your family member, right? And Sarah was closer to me than a lot of my family members, sorry. Um, But she was, she just was a huge part of my life. And so I thought, there's got to be something. So when I Googled it, Iowa State came up with their Child, Adult, and Family Services program, which is now human services. And I thought, well, I mean, even if I don't go into grief, I can at least still help people with that degree. My uh, liberal studies degree qualified me for selling insurance. And I did work as a cell phone person and I was terrible. Like I am not a salesperson. Helping people get like what they needed. Awesome. But like selling is not my thing. So I really felt like I needed that additional degree to be able to do that. In retrospect, I should have just gotten my master's, but you know, we all learn differently. And so I learned that way.
0: So when this event took place at your university, you mentioned that you felt alone in your grief and that there was really nothing that they could offer to you or really anyone in the community could offer to you. Did you feel that those supports were not there because the, the environment you were in was not prepared for that mm-hmm. kind of loss? Or was it just that you just didn't know what you needed at that time?
1: I think because she had graduated the semester before. She wasn't an Iowa State student, she had actually moved back home and she was finishing out her internship in Johnston, Iowa. And so I think like the Iowa State Daily came and did an interview and all of these things, I think it's, some of it is the cause of death. People don't know what to do with traumatic death survivors whether it's suicide homicide substance related they just they don't know what to say it's too horrific to even imagine and especially living in Ames this doesn't happen to people you know it certainly is never something that you would expect now living in Des Moines I unfortunately deal with a lot of homicide survivors and so I'm certainly very passionate about helping them because I know people don't know how to help you. And I did go to the student counseling center because lucky, I guess for me, I was in a lot of creative writing classes. I feel terrible for those teachers because here I am really using that writing to help me as I tried to cope with her death. But they're just like, how am I supposed to grade this poem or this short story when it's so deeply personal and devastating? So that was super helpful, but I couldn't get up out of bed. I couldn't make it to class. My teachers felt for me, but they didn't know what to do. They're like, Buffy, I get it, but you have to come to class. Like You have to turn in your work. And I just, nothing mattered anymore. It was so hard to even function at that point in time so of course I have a very soft spot for students who are trying to grieve something and continue to go to class and do the things they're supposed to do and all of that and so it was really hard for the school because their hands are a bit tied I think it's come a long way in 19 years but certainly at that point in time they're just like how about you try the student counseling and again that poor counselor was like well, make sure you're eating right and taking care of yourself and all of these things. And I'm like, okay, but that's not helpful. And looking back, of course, I don't know much would have been helpful though for me either. So it's through, I think back to my first experience of death was when my grandma died when I was 10 and I was kind of bound to what my family said. This is how we grieve and they're dead. We have the funeral and we don't talk about them anymore. And that was not going to work for me when Sarah died and lucky for me then Amazon was a thing I could get books I could read I could learn what healthy grieving actually looks like the rest of the people around me didn't know that and so they were pushing me to get over it and to stop talking about her why are you still so sad we want the old Buffy back I literally had one of my good friends tell me less like one day shy of her one month since she had died that I should be over it by now And why am I still so sad? They knew just how I felt because their uncle died of cancer. And it just, when the rest of society doesn't know how to deal with you, how are you supposed to, as a 21-year-old turning 22, know what to do with that? Um, So I feel for the university, and I know they've done things and tried to support grieving students, but I think just at that time, there just was, there wasn't the, Recognition of how grief really does impact every single aspect of who you are until you're the one grieving and you're forced to deal with that You just don't get it
0: It, And we have talked often in our previous episodes about the difference between uh, sympathy and empathy and the ability to uh, To just be in a space and that seemed as as you're describing that seemed to be something that was lacking for you Mm -hmm. someone that would just sit in your space, yeah. sit in your grief mm-hmm. and allow you to express whatever you were feeling. Yeah, I, like you said, kudos to your teachers who who were accepting your papers that were coming in and were just saying, "I'm so glad you have an outlet, but I don't know what to do with right. this." Yeah. So as you were doing your research, as you were uh, interacting with a, a this new community that you had not imagined you would ever be a part mm-hmm. of, what? really stood out to you as the biggest support that allowed you to make this new transition to your Mm -hmm. your human services background and started to to drive your next stage of life?
1: I think what happened over the years is because I could not not be vocal about my grief. Um, Just because everyone around me was telling me, Buffy, this is wrong. Why are you still talking about it? Please stop. (laughs) All of those things, I found the people that were comfortable who had had a similar story because they had someone they really loved die. Um, Not necessarily the same way, but we were able to talk and I became that safe person for them that wasn't going to tell them, oh gosh, it's been however many years. You really should be over this by now. And the more and more I saw that that helped. And so when I finally decided to take that plunge and that leap, being a 27-year-old college student again didn't feel like, on the outside, it feels like, why are you doing this? Right. But I knew in my heart that this is what I was meant to do. And again, whether it was helping grieving people or just helping someone in a difficult time, that was really important to me. And as I was going through my studies and became a volunteer for Amanda the Panda and started working with kids who were grieving, I saw, oh, my gosh, I got way more From working with those kids than I probably ever feel like I gave to them and it was just those seeds that were planted that I knew this is what I wanted to do. I also know that the grief field is very small and I feel so insanely fortunate that I'm doing what I'm doing with the loss that I had Um, not, you know, so many people want that loss to mean something. Some people, they're fine just surviving and wanting to be a support for other people just in their personal lives. And all the kudos can go to them. But I think about those that have that bigger meaning, like I, I refuse to let her death be in vain. I wanted to make something beautiful and helpful and loving out of something that was so tremendously tragic and awful in our lives and so how I ended up here I say I'm really lucky Um, I was able to network and be with the people like meet the people that I needed to to end up in the place that I am now Um, and I think about that I'm sitting there you know helping these kids and how did that girl who had no idea what she wanted to do with her life felt like her life really had no meaning it was just trying to fumble her way through to find that i feel very very fortunate don't get me wrong i would give everything back to have her back and i i feel for the people that say but buffy if she wouldn't have died you wouldn't be here helping other people and while i understand that sentiment is is meaning very very well um, I would give everything back to have her back this world was a much better place with her in it and would have been a better place now had she
0: still been alive that is beautifully said and, and I certainly feel that for you and uh, with with our journey through suicide loss uh, we share the same thing mm-hmm. you know, we would yeah. truly give anything to be able to have eric with us and yeah. so thank you for your willingness to share that uh, i think that that is a definitely a missing piece while we do feel appreciative that we have been given a drive out of an event that has now brought a lot of love there is still that true desire that give it all away give mm-hmm. it all away give it all back i just want to have that person back yep. with me thank you for sharing that uh, so you mentioned a man of the panda but I also want to make sure that, that we touch base on how you got connected to Hamilton's. Yes. So uh, as the director of Hamilton's uh, Academy of Grief and Loss, I'm really curious the, the how, first how you got connected to Hamilton's. Mm-hmm. But then also the tie between what Hamilton's does and then also the academy mm-hmm. that you are the director of. Yes. So go ahead and walk us through those.
1: Yeah, so when I was at Iowa State for Human Services, one of the things we did was tour different places where you could use your human service degree. And we took a tour of Hamilton's um, in West Des Moines, and I posted on Facebook, oh my gosh, this would be my dream job. It was amazing just learning about all the things the Academy does for grieving people, for the families that they served, all of it. I was like, I want, I want to do this. Not really thinking, taking that seriously, right? This is the type of job that I wanted. And so when I had the opportunity to volunteer, that was wonderful because I really got my foot in the door of trying it out, seeing what it would be like being a camp counselor, um, working with kids, all of that. So that was wonderful. When I graduated from Iowa State I applied to all, any and all, it didn't matter where it was, like if it was a grief opening, I applied. I also did my um, internship at, um, why am I blanking on the name, but in the foster care department at YSS and thought again, these kids have dealt with a lot of loss. So this is a way that I can do that with my work schedule kind of thing. and. I couldn't get a job and I still had my full-time job at the radio station so that was good but when the coordinator position came open from the Academy they reached out to Amanda the panda because in the grief field it's so small and we're so reliant on each other we refer people to all of these organizations because we don't have to do everything we can actually get them connected and so when they were looking for a coordinator you know they sent out the little beacon like hey we need help and they asked if there was any people they'd worked with or volunteers and I had already told them like hey if you happen to hear of anything, let me know. And so they gave them my name. So I was very, very fortunate. Um, And I worked under our previous director, Carrie Bauer. She was the director, and then I was the coordinator for three years. And then when she left, they asked if I would like to be the director. And I was like, are you sure? They were just like, of course, Buffy, we can't think of anyone better. And so I've been at Hamilton's in August, it'll be nine years, which is again I don't know how that happened and how I've been there for so long it feels like sometimes it was yesterday and sometimes much longer especially having worked in bereavement in the pandemic that was very very difficult but I am so fortunate I get to work with all kinds of different people we work with kids as young as three and a half year olds all the way up um And so it just feels so good to be able to give back and relate with kids. And I've done groups, school groups, with kids who've all had their loved one die from homicide. And so, again, being able to give back or to work with young adults that are in college and be able to do those things just really warms my heart to make sure that, you know, I get to talk about Sarah all the time, and I love it. And to be able to have her love be shared with others it's amazing
0: and I appreciate you saying that that actually that that flows really well to a question that I've I really want to ask you and it has to do with your ability to also cope and your ability to uh, to absorb what you're hearing from others their mm-hmm. grief journey and not feel overwhelmed yeah. or not feel lost in then I uh, 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 your your grief returning mm-hmm. the the newness then returning yes. of your loss how do you how do you ensure that you are separating the two and what do you do to cope uh, even with all of the work that you do to help support others
1: yeah it's a fine line and sometimes I have my boundaries in place and I do my counselor would be so proud of me um, and other times it's just part of the deal when you are a loving caring compassionate person there's going to be some, some families, some people that they just get you. And typically it is when it's a homicide victim, especially when it's a double homicide. Um, when Sarah died, the person who killed her also killed a counselor here in Des Moines. Um, his name was Greg Gall. And so that certainly brings up my stuff. And it's when I think I have that covered, when I'm like, okay, this is not my person. I'm here to be the support. And then something comes out of nowhere that gets you. I've always been worried. Like, what if I run into someone who knew the kid who killed them? And that's when I really just have a hard time and I have to give myself some so much grace that it is okay I know that it's okay this is what I tell people right it's going to come out of nowhere and you have to do those things to take care of yourself in that moment but more times than not I feel like when I'm able to be that support, it just does something to my grief that is so, I hate the word healing because it implies that someday you're healed, quote unquote healed, or that you've accepted it. I hate like, that's not how grief works. Sarah died 19 years ago this year. And there are still moments where it's hard to breathe when I think about that moment when I got the phone call when they said that it was one of her body one of the bodies they found was hers. And that's always going to be hard. But it's also a beautiful thing that I know, I might not know exactly what they're going through, but I have a really good idea what it feels like to have your entire world decimated by the loss of someone that you love so immensely. And so in that way, I can really empathize versus that sympathize. I don't have to look at you and be like, Oh, I feel so sorry for you. Right. I, can feel that pain in the way that I felt it. And so one of the things that we do at Hamilton's is something called First Viewing Support where we will be with the child when they're going to see their person's body at the funeral home for the first time and that certainly is one of the hardest parts of my job but also one of the most beautiful parts of my job it's such an honor to be with a family at that very intimate time but to also take some of that burden from the adults saying hey i'm going to take the kids we're going to explain everything what they're going to see answer any questions talk about what it means when we say someone has died Um, and to be able to do that is really good but i think too if i didn't work with the people that i work with when you go into that first view and it's just even though you're telling yourself this is not my person this is not my person i'm here as the professional there's just things that will get you that i can then step out of the room get my cry on, and then be able to gather myself and go back into being able to debrief with the people that I work with is so vitally important. Um, especially like when we're in school groups and kids are sharing some really hard things to be able to talk about. Oh my gosh, when they said that, that just really reminded me of dot, dot, dot. Right. Um, so surrounding yourself, I think with people who do get it, whether you're the griever or you're working with grievers is, is huge.
0: And I appreciate that you you have mentioned multiple times you have you have your tribe you have your people yeah. that you you know you can trust and go to when you feel like I can't step away mm-hmm. I, I, I need I need a little moment here yeah and also that it, grief is not linear no. and we are all going to have this journey on our own right. in our own way yeah uh, and it's okay to step away and cry mm-hmm. give yourself an opportunity to just let those emotions out. No matter how long it has been, those yeah. those waves still come. Oh, yeah. So I, I appreciate that you you have mentioned uh, that sometimes you even feel that. Mm-hmm. Now, 19 years later, you still have those moments where even though you are the one giving all of this love and support now, you still need those moments for oh, yourself yeah. where you, you need to step away.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I think about this, like as the person who's telling people it's okay You do what you need to do. This is all the natural and normal reaction to a significant loss in your lives. We still believe what society tells us. So I think this year has been really difficult for me particularly because we're approaching 20 years and 21 years and she will be gone as long as she was alive and there's that part of me that thinks what are people thinking are they going to be like Buffy she has been dead for 19 years you're still really this sad about it and for all intents and purposes my life is wonderful and beautiful and I have so much joy and I love the work that I do and all of those things but there's always going to be moments where it is hard and I would take that hard any day to be able to help people and so they don't feel as alone. They don't feel deserted in their moment. And I do facilitate a grief group that's online with an organization called Heal Grief and Actively Moving Forward. It's AMF for short. They have an app. And that specific group I started for young adults, um, started working with them because of their work with young adults. And so many of them are so new in their grief. And I hear all of the time, You guys are the only ones that get it everyone else in my life is just like why are you not over this but same things that i've heard and my heart beams watching them connect with one another saying oh i had to get on today because i knew you guys would be here and i needed to be with people who got it and for them to in that moment see that they're not alone i think that's what it's all about
0: Oh, that is so beautiful so beautiful and well said uh, I am curious, Buffy, Hamilton's, is having an academy mm-hmm. within the the funeral services, is that common, or is Hamilton's a, u- a unique entity?
1: Yeah, it is very uncommon, and it's been interesting, especially since the pandemic. So much went online, and we really... We've had a broad scope, I think, before that, but even more so. People were looking for whatever resources. So whether it's a handout that we have about, oh my gosh, how do I explain to my child that their person died from substances or suicide or anything like that, um, they come to our website and get that information. We're really lucky that Hamilton's Funeral Home is family owned. And so because the family owners believe in this so much that we're able to have an entire division dedicated to grief support. We have, I think, two programs that are more or less like memorial services that we do just for the families that we serve. Otherwise, everything else is free of charge, open to the public. So whether that's the school grief groups that we do, the kids groups, um, any of those resources, we'll have people call and say, hey, my person died, I don't know what to do. We compile a list of all the grief support services so we can get you connected if it's a suicide loss with stuff, you know, different things like that. So it is very unique for a funeral home to have the scope of services after the death. Um, Some will have like, a list of books on their website or maybe some different um, organizations that can help with grief support. It all just depends on the funds that they honestly have. And because we are family owned, they knew they this is what they wanted to do. Um, Carlton Peterson, he is our uh, president. He's retired funeral director but still family owner. and it was his dream to have a grief academy. And his daughter went to school for you know, child psychology. Um, her name is Sasha Mudloff and she was kind of tasked with, okay, sell to the board of directors, essentially, why we should have a complete division to do grief support. Um, Many of the programs that fall under our academy umbrella are things that Hamilton's been doing since the 80s, sometimes 70s. Um, Our library, for instance, that started back in the 70s. So there was a lot that we were already doing, and why don't we make this specific division? So as the pandemic kind of isolated us into our homes, everything online really grew and so people were finding out about the different services that we do have. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's very unique, and we get people calling from all over the country saying, okay, so why, how do I get my funeral home talked into doing this? Um, and what we say a lot of times is they probably don't have the funds for that, but certainly you should talk to them. How can you collaborate together? It's a lot about collaboration, and that can really help to meet the needs in your community. Oh,
0: I love that. And for those beautiful people that are going through whatever you're going through today, we will make sure that on FacingTomorrow.org, we are, we are locking in all of these supports that Buffy is talking about. So please make sure that you check out FacingTomorrow.org for additional information. However, Buffy, I, I do want to make sure that we also cover the fact that your mission is not just to support others in their grief journey, but also to help them make the most of their finite lives through Death Cafe, Iowa. So can you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so Death Cafe is a movement that started over in England by a gentleman named John Underwood. And he really wanted people talking about death and dying. And... Much like grief, our society doesn't want to talk about death and dying. Even when you're older and you know that time is limited, we still don't want to talk about it and so it's really a gathering of people that want to talk about topics related to death dying and whatever is on their mind and it really does circle back to when you talk about these things it really helps you live life more fully. I think people think one I'm morbid because I work at a funeral home but two that I like going to things called death cafe Um, but it is it's really gratifying just to be with other people hearing their ideas and seeing how it's grown from being an in-person thing in central Iowa to being forced online during the pandemic and having people from all over the country we've had people from canada so i like to say oh my gosh we're international Uh, all of that it's so great because we get those ideas what's happening on the different coasts or in different communities how have they handled things what are their barriers are they the same that we have too and so it really gives you that pulse of what people are curious about what they're wondering about and then helping get them connected so if they're really curious about like so why isn't green burial really a thing here in iowa we can get them connected with the people to talk about that so it's all about that learning and that connecting that way as well um, and of course for me working with grieving people they naturally now are entertaining the idea like so my person died I'm also going to die. And we like to pretend that we're not. And so just because we think about it doesn't mean that we're going to die. And so it just helps you kind of think about those things like, oh, if I feel really strongly that in my obituary, I don't want it to say passed away, that I wanted to say that I died, I probably should get that in paper, right? Because I'm 40. So I, that's not naturally my family's going to know that. So it just really kind of lights that fire, so to speak, to get those things that are really important to you, whether that's having a conversation with your family or whatever it is, um, to be able to make sure that what you want to have happen, happen.
0: How can people learn more about Death Cafe?
1: So if you go to deathcafe.com, you can learn about all kinds of different Death Cafes. There's many still happening online, so we have some people who will stop into ours that also go to ones that are happening happening in England or Ireland or Australia, uh, but ours actually meets the third Tuesday of each month. So if you're on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page. Um, it's called Death Cafe Iowa, so you can pop by there, but all of the information is listed on the deathcafe.com website. But it's great too, because now we are partnering to facilitate those with the Iowa Death Collective. And so that makes it really nice too, that there's kind of different death professionals that are able to give their kind of input as well. But there's no agenda, no topic of conversation that we bring. It's all what people want to talk about. And that's, it starts one place and it ends on very many, several tangents. So it's awesome. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that. Uh, We have two more questions for Buffy. So first one, Buffy, is uh, what do you think Sarah would say about the path you've paved in her honor?
1: I like to think that she'd be really proud. Um, I get together with her parents at least once a year, if not more than that. And they like to tell me that she'd be really proud of me. And I think knowing what she was able to do for me in our friendship of being the one I felt the only one who believed in me and thought that I was worth more than I thought I was at that time uh, I think she would be extremely proud of what I've been able to do and thinking too about being able to help so many people um, yeah I just think I hope she'd be proud
0: yeah, That's beautifully said and for those that are listening in Buffy thinking, I want to do more. I need to do more in whatever event that they are experiencing at this time. What advice would you give for for those that are listening, thinking, I, I need to do more?
1: Yeah. I think getting connected with the people doing the work. So if it is, hey, I'm really passionate about homicide grief or suicide grief or whatever it is, getting connected with those that are doing it. A lot of organizations use volunteers and it's a great way to get your foot in the door, see, you know, what is this all about really? of course we all want the hugs and the you've made my life so much better by you know encouraging me and validating my experience and all of that it is of course not all of that right it's really hard work as well and so if you can get connected whether it is through a hospice and doing volunteer opportunities um, we actually use volunteers in our kids group so if you're interested in that I think that's a really great way or just meeting with the person that does that job if it's a funeral director funeral directors love talking to people about the work that they do how it's hard and difficult but how it's also really rewarding and so i think that that can really help i also want to say if you're a person that is grieving and you're like there's a word for all of this it's called post-traumatic growth right and if you're one like i am just trying to survive That's okay. You don't have to make something beautiful out of the pieces. You continuing to live in spite of this immense loss is something that is honoring your special person, is making them incredibly proud that you continue to put one foot in front of the other. Because I know for a long time, far longer than anyone wants to give you, it is really hard to survive after you've had a loss like that. And so if you're in that place that you are merely just surviving, please know that you are being seen, you are doing what you need to do, we need you here, right? And that there comes a day long, long from the point you're at right now, there does come a day where you can breathe a little bit easier, where you can find that joy a little bit easier where it still really is painful thinking about how your person died but you're also able to laugh and love and do all of those things again and if you haven't found that find those people that can support you in it Um, there are people there that can support you in that so please reach out it's not a weakness to need help right it is this is not something we're equipped to deal with so find the people that can help be that for you along the way.
0: Buffy Peters, director of Hamilton's Academy of Grief and Loss. This has been such a fun conversation, oh, and I, I knew it was going to be. Thank you very much for your insight, for all of the work that you do in support of our community. And uh, we certainly hope that the folks that are, are listening in can take a peek, get involved if they would like, or at least take something from this conversation, yeah. because this was this was perfect. Thank you, Buffy, very yeah. much.
1: Thank you.